uh, we're wrapping down on the uh, parables. I've been teaching on the parables. Um, so um, <clears throat> we're going to run through, I think it's four, four or five parables. They're shorter parables. And so it shouldn't take that uh, very long. But then we're going to finish up the rest of the parables uh, next week. And next week is our fellowship dinner. So uh, plan to get here at 6.15, and we're going to have our, our third uh, Wednesday of the month dinner. And then the following week is Thanksgiving, and as is our custom, we don't have Wednesday night service before Thanksgiving. Um, people traveling and families coming in and getting ready and all that kind of stuff. So we won't have service that night. And then the next Wednesday, which is the 29th of November, I'm going to start on Revelations. Now, I, I'm not sure. I, I keep going back and forth. I really think it's going to make a lot more sense if we cover Daniel's seven weeks. And, um, but now in Revelations, chapter 1, 2, and 3, uh, chapter 1 is kind of an introductory chapter when uh, Christ appears before John on the Isle of Patmos says some things there. And then chapter 2 and chapter 3 are the, the letters to the seven churches. Now, usually when you say um, you're going to talk about revelations, people wants to get into the exciting stuff. But that doesn't happen until chapter 4. So I, I'm not 100% on how I'm going to do this yet, but I might start off on, on chapters 1, 2, and 3, then go back into the seven weeks of... Uh, uh, the vision that Daniel had of the seven weeks uh, to the fulfillment, all things explain that because when we get into chapter four, I think it's going to make more sense for people to follow along knowing what was prophesied about the end time. So that's kind of my plan on, on how to do it. And we're going to be uh, in that for a few weeks because um, to get through, I mean, we're basically going to do a, a uh, probably in Daniel seven weeks, it will be more teaching and bouncing around. When we get back to the book of Revelations, it's going to be verse by verse talking and, and um, we'll have questions and things like that if anybody ha answers it. So that's kind of where we're at. So tonight, uh, parables, go to Matthew chapter 13. Yeah. Okay, this is the parable of the net. And uh, chapter 13, verse 47 uh, says, And again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Now he said the kingdom, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Trying to grab everybody they can and bring them all in. Okay? Which, when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessel, but cast out the bad. And, um, you know, so, so here's a question that I came up with in just talking about revelations. Um, when it is, uh, verse 49, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from the, among the just. In uh, eschatology, there is one teaching of that the rapture of the church takes place at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Is that what he's talking about here? Well, there's nothing in this that really has any um, correlation to end of times is talking about a separation and the gathering in of people. And so uh, it's more talking about separation. And this is the thing that, that people, I think, have to um, understand. Let's go ahead and read verse 50. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There is a separation. It, this is through the Bible. 
Now, I know with modern teaching, there's, there's a modern teaching that because of grace, everybody's saved, everybody's good, everybody's going to go to heaven. But that's very contradictory to Scripture. And here we see it. Verse 50 says, uh, And shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That don't sound like heaven. So, so there's going to be a separation. And remember, um, Jesus in his parable is talking how we live this life. Where are you going to get separated to? Going to the vessel or into the furnace? Because it's going to happen according to Jesus. Now, like I said, modern teaching is doing away with this, and you've got you to make the decision whether you're going to fo follow modern pastors or what Jesus said. Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. I'm going to follow what Jesus said. And so... Uh, this, this is why I talk about things of lifestyle, honor, submission, uh, and the, the various lifestyle components that I talk about is because when it comes down to an end, there is a judgment. There is a determination, and we have to figure out what is good. Well, if we listen to the, the Bible, it has two words, talks about evil, and talks about good. Evil, by definition, is everything that's contrary to God or what he said. It's not like real deep. That's why Jesus said, do what I say. You know, if you love me, do what I do. I've kind of paraphrased the verse there. But it comes down to, am I following what God said? Uh, not, I, and I've said it even about me. You know, I preach five hours a week. Don't just take it because I say it. It's got to be aligned with the Bible. Uh, if, I, if you just follow me in what I say and I get, go off in the ditch, guess where you're going? To the ditch. You have to know the Bible and you've got to do what the Bible says. So let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Amen. I'm going to expound upon that. Matthew 22, 14. It says, For many are called, but few are chosen. The verse right before it says, Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, again, if you look in the Bible, there's many times that the Bible talks about something and then describes the weeping and gnashing of teeth, the uh, outer darkness, the heat. There is a hell and people are going to hell. Can you defend yourself while you're not? I mean, you don't have to here, um, but, but you should think about it. Can you defend yourself of why you're not going to hell? Well, because I love Jesus. I, I like what um, um, Ralph said about does he know you? I was in one of my teachings this week. I actually dealt almost verbatim what Ralph said. And there was a verse, I can't remember where it's at now. I think it was in Ephesians. But it says, uh, you know, about knowing God. He says, but rather that God knows you. Does God know you? Well, obviously, in one context, he knows who everybody is because he's all-knowing. But does he know you as his child? And, and we, we ought to, we're, we're living in the last days. And uh, we ought to pay attention to this because there is an eternity. And we're all going to get there. Either by way of the end, if we live all the way to the end, or by way of uh, stepping out of this natural life, we're, we're going to get to the eternal element. And, and so many people fight for the natural things and, and don't even realize, make decisions through the day 
that are contrary to God and don't, don't take the time to think, is this going to affect my walk with him? And so uh, uh, let's go over to Luke 13. Thirteen and six. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit of this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, put fertilizer on it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut down the tree. Now, the owner of the ground, we see in this parable, is that, um, or is metaphorically talking about, uh, the owner is God. The, the gardener is Jesus. And the fig tree is a person. And Jesus, you know, if, you, if you listen to people, oh man, I can't wait till the Lord to come back. I want to get out of this mess, this politics, this wars. I want to get out. You ought to be praying that he doesn't come back soon. So people wake up. That's basically what this verse is, or this parable is talking about. Is that Jesus, God wants, hey, remove it. It's not producing anything. Now this tells us something about the heart of God. We should be producing something. Our lives should be manifesting something in his kingdom and something that is, is pertinent to him. Jesus is, is the gardener in this, you know, taking care of it, trying to get the truth to produce. And God's saying to him, just pluck it up and get rid of it. it why, why? It's taking up space in the ground. We can put something else there. He said, just give me, give me another year. Give me a little bit more time. And I'm, I'm going to work with it and I'm going to try to get it to, to manifest and start producing, and if it does, we'll be good. If not, okay, I'll concede and we'll take it down. But again, we see there's a separation. God's looking at our life. God is, and Jesus through this parable is telling us, God is looking at our life. I'm trying to get you into what God wants for you and, and manifest through you it's an interesting thing. I was thinking about this. And, um, uh, well, let me not do that. Let's go back to verse 2. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose you that these Gentiles were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall likewise perish. So remember, we're coming into the parable now. Watch this. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think you that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall also likewise parable, or parable, uh, perish. Verse 6 is where the parable where I started seeing, he spake also this parable to them. There's, there's going to be a separation. In fact, there's one thing, like at the, the, the wall of Siloam, the tower of Siloam that killed 18 people, he says that, don't think it was because they're sinners. There's things in this natural world that happen. This is where we have to be on the offense on our Christian faith. Like, like Angelica's testimony of uh, there was a thief in the, the neighborhood. 
But she prayed Psalms 91. If you're not familiar with Psalms 91, gives his angel charge over lest we, you know, dash our foot against a stone. It's a protection chapter of how angels work on our behalf. And there was a series. In fact, I saw this. Somebody posted on Facebook. We live over here in this area and all these cars got uh, broken into. And I didn't think about it being uh, where uh, Jesse and Helen could live. But then, uh, then she told me that. It's like, wow, they stopped at your car. Oh, you really think that's a quinky dink? I mean, it, it's the power of prayer. Uh, 25 minutes standing in the road. Three pit bulls around him. Growling. But they never... Because pit bulls are like that. They, they're kind of passive and they just kind of stand there and, and look at you and growl. No, there's, there's power in what we do and what God has given to us. And God expects us to walk in His power, demonstrate His power, and be okay with testifying about His power. <laughs> and, uh, but we've got to be proactive in it also. What I, I see on that first part that we, we read, there's a lot of stuff going on. You should be praying protection over you, your family, your kids, you know, everything like that. You should be taking a proactive stance. Right now, everybody feels everybody's kind of painting with a broad brush because not everybody feels this way, but the vast majority of people feel like there's nothing they can do about inflation, about taxation, about the different things that are going on. I'm just subject to everything that's going on. No, you're not. You've been given the word of God. Be fruitful right now. Overcome it. You're not going to overcome it playing their game. Oh, I need to go get me another job so that I can make it. No, that's not the answer. It's kind of like what Sergey was talking about, exactly like what Sergey, which, which am I going to rely on, my giving or, or um, you know, the, the rubles that I have in my pocket? See, see, now's the time to get proactive on this. But again here, when we get back into the parable, we, we, Jesus is trying to get us to walk in, and this has been a human problem ever since people have been people, trying to get people to follow after his way. It doesn't matter what scenario that they lived in, whether they're in the garden and nothing was wrong. People have been people ever since people's been people. Or whether they had judges over the land or kings over the land or prophets over the land or, or whatever. And even into the New Testament, after Jesus has come and uh, uh, conquered death, hell, and the grave, rose from the dead, he's still trying to get people to do what he what he has designed us to. Now, what has he designed us to? Well, he wants to manifest his glory through us. Now, he says in every, I mean, we could go through uh, multiple scriptures on this, but he says that he has, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that we can have all sufficiency in all things. And, and he says, just, just let me be glorified through you so people can see me. And I will take care of you. And we have a struggle with that because we don't think he can take care of us the way we can take care of ourselves. So it's going to come down. Let's go to Luke chapter five. It's going to come down. Uh, all these parables is how we live this life. Now, remember the first parable that we read in Mark chapter four on the on the sower sowed the seed and it went through the four different kinds of grounds. And then the disciples said, would you explain this to me? He says, if you don't understand this one, you're not going to understand any of the parables. All of these are about what you're sowing in your life. 
Now, whenever I say sowing, don't limit that down to just money. Money is one aspect of it, but everything that you do is an act of sowing. How we respond to people, how we, we deal with our life. We are sowing uh, things in our life, and we're going to reap according to how we sow. In Luke chapter 5, verse 36, it says, And he spake also a parable unto them, that no man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old, if otherwise, then both the new uh, maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles uh, will perish. But new wine must be put in new bottles, and both are preserved. So again, a separation, we have to change. Now, in this, we can look at it as the bottle the wine being the Holy Spirit, the bottle being us, is we're expected to change. You don't take the things of God and put it in an unrenewed vessel. But that's what many Christians are trying to do. They're trying to retain their old life while trying to access the things of God. He says you can't do that. He makes an interesting statement here now in verse 39. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desires new. For he saith, the old is better. How, how many times have you heard people say, maybe you've said it yourself, I wish it was like, and you point back to a time that you liked before. We, we fight new things. Uh, the older you get, the more you fight. And, and, you know, the thing that I always say is, or that I started saying here a few years ago, is, you know, that, that old statement that says you can't teach old dogs new tricks. You can it's just the old dogs don't want to learn it because we're comfortable in what we know. And we all do that. We get comfortable in what we know. And so we come to Christ and then we try to access the things of Christ in the old container. We try to patch up the old man instead of reclothing him. And, and there's, there's a change process in this. But what happens if I don't change? Paul does a great job. Just read chapters one, two and three. Uh, in the book of Ephesians on the separation between God and man. The, the carnal mind versus the spiritual mind. That we're all going to give an account of our life one day. And in that account, a separation is going to uh, occur. Are we ready for that? Now, in, God, in another uh, verse, it talks about the works of our lives, the things that we've done, is going to encounter a very hot fire. I'm not talking about hell. I'm talking about the works of our life and stuff to, for God to see what's left. Amen. Only eternal things are left. We, we may have had the best looking yard in town, but, but the color of your grass, the length of your grass, the trimming of your trees, it's, it's not going to matter. It's natural stuff. Now, keep your house looking good. I'm not saying don't do that, but, but it's like, it's not, it's, those natural things are not as important as we make those natural things. And yet everybody, it seems like, fights to make the natural work more than the spiritual. Now, it's funny how when we get spiritual, we try to fix other people. He may not have saw that look, but I saw it. 
Isn't it true? Yes. It's funny. Listen to it, because when people get spiritual, they start dealing with somebody else. Why don't you fix yourself? We went over that parable. Quit worrying about the speck in somebody's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye. You know you and I have a lifetime of work of getting ourselves lined up with God. Because we be people and people be goofy. Mark chapter 4. Kind of going faster. I thought I had too many. Anybody got any questions so far or comments? Okay. Latrice, the microphone's coming. Microphone's here. So technically, nobody can get themselves together. Like some people, you know, you talk to your friends and family, be like, well, I'm going to get myself together. I'm not. And it's like, you can't get yourself together. We need Jesus to help get us together. We need that. Oh, Jesus is the only thing that's going to get, yourself, get together. yourself together. I like what Albert Einstein said. You can't solve a problem from the same mindset that created it. So in our goofiness, how am I going to fix my goofiness? Because it's my goofiness that caused me to be goofy. Yeah, because some people think that they got to fix themselves before they come to Jesus. Yeah, and that's another mistake because uh, the verse says, I can't remember where it's at, but walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how you start fixing is start walking in the Spirit. And most people, like the, just saying it a little bit different than what you're, they're trying to fix the walk of the flesh so that they can be spiritual. And they never get there. You cannot naturally, in uh, all their brilliancy and how they, they think evolution like, but the one thing they can't bridge the gap between is an inanimate object to a living object. They cannot bridge that gap. And if they did, all they would do is, is verify creative design. And so, so we think we're smart enough to do things, but basically we've got to become humble enough to let God fix us. Go ahead, Simone. Okay, probably a stupid question, but I have that down my mind a lot. Um, when we talk about God is going to look at our life, but what about all the sins we repented of? Is that going to show or not? No, he says it's not a dumb question. Because uh, I've actually been asked it before, have talked about it in conversations before, so it's a question many people think about. But the Bible says that when we repent, that God casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Is going back to the globe, you go east on the globe, you'll never go uh, west, you're always going east. But if you go north, you will start going south. How does that work? Because there's poles, there's markers. And this is where we struggle is even though God says that he'll cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, we still remember the, the markers. And I guarantee you got somebody in your family that will remind you of them. Um, and, um, and that's why if you're going north on the globe, you will eventually go south because of those markers. That, and not, I mean, kind of joking, it's true, but there are family members that will always kind of bring it back. Well, I remember when you did this. Um, and, uh, but, but you know what's funny? They never bring up the, uh, I remember when I did this. It's always you, because the spiritual, you know, they always have to focus on somebody else. But, uh, um, but we have a problem letting go of them. And we keep the markers in our life, which God doesn't want us to do. We, we've got to learn how to walk free in Christ. And, uh, and, and part of that, which is, this is the, this is a real big issue. I don't know if it's just a psychological problem or something else. Um, 
but in the, how do I say it? Um, you, people need to get free from people. People do things, and I'm painting, I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but a lot of people do things based on what they think somebody else thinks. Number one, you don't know what they're thinking. You know how convinced people are? They, they become convinced within themselves. I know what you're thinking about me. It's like, no, you don't. Yes, I do. I can see it in your eyes. No, you don't. What did what, you say? Or your face, yeah. Uh, but, but all you're seeing is your own uh, insecurities, inadequacies, so on and so forth. you you got to get over people. High percentage of people can't say no. you got to learn how to say no. You're in bondage if you can't say no. Good question. I got every, you got your question got everybody staring at me weird. <laughs> Good job. All right. Any other questions? Mark chapter four. Oh yeah, Karina. How do you separate from letting go of the sin to not remembering it, like, holding on to you, but just remembering like that led to this or led to sin? Uh, that makes sense. You're, you're not going to forget it. You have a brain that remembers things. Uh, you've got to, like, if it's coming back to um, putting pressure on you or something, man, I remember when I, oh, man, how could God ever forgive me? Well, that falls into the category of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we cast down every thought and imagination. What the problem that most people do is they start dwelling on the thought. And, and a lot of people's lives are... Med meditating. You talked to him about meditating on the word. Oh, I, I really struggle doing that. Well, you're meditating on the negative things. Yeah. Just do the exact same thing you're doing over there and bring it over here and get rid of that. Oh, I couldn't do that. It's be yes, you can. It's a bias that you've developed yourself in that you look at the way that you perceive the world. Go ahead. Get back there. Did you raise your hand, B? Okay. With you saying that, how, because there's been times where I'm like, did I really, did Jesus really forgive me for that? But then I'm like, because did I really sincerely ask for forgiveness? You know, like I, I've struggled with that personally. How? Well, just to let you know, Tammy's up here going, uh-huh. Uh, so you're not alone in that. And I, I'm sure everybody else is. But this is where faith comes in. You just have to believe that he did. Now, if you didn't actually ask him to forgive you, then yeah, don't deceive yourself. But if you've, if you've gone to him and asked, he said he's faithful to hear us and will forgive us of all our sins. Yes. Now, he, he expects us, uh, you know, repentance is, as somebody described, a 180 degree turn. I'm, I'm not going to do this again. But how many has said that and still did it again? Okay, I mean, that's people have been people ever since people have been people. We struggle, but God knows our heart. Are we really trying to get out of it? Or are we, are we just using repentance as a, um, what would be the word, um, as a justification to sin? You know, uh, I don't really intend to change, but I want to get forgiven. So I get another pass. I can go another day. Uh, and if I do it again, I'll, I'll just repent of it. I guess the sin that I'm kind of referring to also is like 
say Jose makes me mad and I say some things and I ask for forgiveness to the Lord. But then I'm like, am I really sorry? Like, I struggle that with it. <laughs> like, not trying to be funny. We know you, I Karina. So, so you're me. good. <laughs> well, no, but, it, but again, it, it comes back to the same answer is that where is my heart in this? If, I, if I'm really not repentant, repentance doesn't work. I mean, and, and really, it shouldn't be that I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry that re, if I can make this make sense. I, I, I say something to Peter that, that's just really bad. Okay, I should be more concerned about where did it come from. I mean, sure, I might have to ask him to forgive me. I shouldn't have said that, whatever. And, and same thing with God. But I really should be more concerned about how did that even come out of my mouth? There's a lot of people who they give themselves to permission to say anything that they feel. But then they get offended if somebody else says something to them that's a little bit ouchy. Um, it's a uh, we've got to start being honest with ourselves and, and, and working on it to where we can actually walk in love with people. Because there is a separation, um, first, uh, there is a separation that, um, that's going to happen. And these things do matter. And so I, I should be able to, it's hard to do it. Now, don't, don't think I'm talking about something that's easy. It's hard to walk in love with people. Uh, but, but we should be trying to do that, and we should be getting better at it every day. B? Now, I was just going to say what's helped me is that as quickly as the enemy reminds you of that sin that's already, you've already repented over, it's under the blood, he's a liar. And I just remind him of the fact that God remembers it no longer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I've been set free. I, I'm okay. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that you said there's really key. Didn't you say you immediately do that? Immediately. That, that's, that's really a key on casting down thoughts and stuff like that that's come. Don't dwell on it. Don't you, live you there. Get, you can't. He'll yeah. keep poking you oh, yeah. with it. Yeah, and if he gets a little crack in the door, he's going to start kicking. Yeah, you got to shut um, him up as soon as he opens his mouth and, and remind you of it. I go, let me remind you of the fact that you're defeated under my feet. You're the loser. I'm the winner. And um, you can't torment me with that anymore. Yeah. Because it's already, it's, you know, I don't even remember it anymore. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Tammy. Okay, I'll get over on that side. Tammy up here. I think myself, I mean, we, I know for me, I'm my biggest critic. I'm my biggest condemner. Um, well, the enemy, like B said, you know, telling us. But isn't that sin in itself that if we can't, if we've repented of something, if we're sincere about it, and then we basically throw it back in God's face, isn't that pride in a sense? I, I guess you could, but Which I would sin. I would question if you if a person really did repent, because you kind of framed it with they were serious in the it's not the exact words that you use, but that they were sincere in their repentance, but then they threw it back. I would say they really wasn't sincere. Now it could just be a a, a personality of of redealing with things and not letting it go, but um, yeah, I mean it's got to be fixed. There's no condemnation when we're in Christ. Now, I'm a big judge of myself. I judge myself very severely, but I don't condemn myself. I don't beat myself up over it. It's like, why did I do that? Where did it come from? Okay, I thought I dealt with this. 
and yet I, I, I did this. And so the Bible says that if you'll judge yourself, you won't be judged. So there's a difference between judging yourself and condemning yourself. So I would say on, on a person that does that is try to work on judgment issues, not condemnation issues. Um, okay, I did that, but why did I do that? God, I, I asked you to forgive me, but I'm still struggling with this on, on letting it go. Where is it not working in me? So what's the difference or where is the difference then in like condemning yourself or, you know, and just feeling bad about what you did and, well, and it beats you up over it? I, I, if, uh, if you truly repent, uh, over here, Nick, uh, Mary over here, okay. Uh, if you truly repent, why would you feel bad anymore? Is, is God still feeling bad? He doesn't remember it. So when we walk, when we truly repent, why don't we walk away from it? Now, again, you've got people around you that's going to help you not walk away from it. Okay, but then again, you got to live your life free of people. Go in the other room. Um, you know, you, you got to get over people. And, uh, uh, and there will always be people around that will want to bring things back up, will want to, uh, okay, will want to, uh, you know, try to hold you there. And if you can, you, you number one, you. You've got to not live in that realm. You've got to walk away from it. Then somebody else comes up. You've got you to learn how to not let people define who you are and where you live. Mary? That's, that's what I was talking about. That's what I was thinking is when I get angry because there's some certain family members that, you know, really get under my get under my goat or whatever you call it. But um, when I get angry, I just with this person, I I I can't let it go. So I'm thinking. I feel like when I talk to the Lord about it, He shows me that it's it's me. There's something in me That's that true. I need to, you know, figure out what what is really making me angry. Yeah, this person did this, and this person shouldn't have done that, and they do it all the time, and it's a terrible thing that they do. But there's something I think that we have to work out in ourselves. Absolutely, mm -hmm. uh, get rid of the goat. Yeah, how? <laughs> well, you got to get free of people again, uh, and, and just think of it. Okay, uh, Peter, you had your hand up, right, Peter? Yeah. Okay, come over to Peter, Nick. Or okay, we'll go. Go ahead, Andre. Uh, wait, hang on a second. Is that if you're if you walk out to your car and uh, and somebody from the street walks up to you, you've never met him before and they start yelling at you saying you, you, you've got to be the stupid, stupidest person that ever walked the face of the earth and probably the ugliest, too. And uh, and I just think you're an idiot. What are you going to do? Punch him. Would you really? Who said punch him? OK, we're going back to that. Uh, uh, Jose, I think, yeah. No, I mean, is it really, is it going to get under your goat? No. You're going to think, wow, what a wackadoodle or, or something like that. But now somebody you care about know or, or something like that does the exact same thing, it's going to penetrate. Okay, so you, you've, you've submitted your authority to somebody else or you've given them right to define you. Okay, this is probably going to be a good way to say it. You've given them right to define you, but... Allow the word to define you, not people. Mm -hmm. so, so if they're saying something to me that, that angers me, 
Who am I and who are you to say that to me? And really, it comes back to Romans 12, 2 of renewing your mind to the word of God. Who does the word of God say I am? If, if the Bible says I'm forgiven when I repent, then why don't I accept it? Because Jesus is the one that gave us that word. I, I didn't make it up and say, hey, this is just cool you do this. Jesus said it. And so we, it comes back to me. Most people want to figure, like if it was me and you talking and you said something to me that got under my goat, I, my natural reaction is to try to fix you. But, but it's me. I'm the one that, got, that has the goat. I just got to get rid of the goat and just let you uh, uh, have your opinion. Well, that's your opinion, but I'm not going to live you know, under the condemnation of it. I don't know. I'm pretty good at this, aren't I? I don't, I don't get moved at, I mean, uh, believe me, I get stabbed in the back. I get people say things about me. I get, you, you might not believe this, but people disagree with me sometimes. And um, uh, what's that? Uh, but be, it's only because you have a goat. I just don't have any goats. And uh, go ahead, Andre. You kind of answered with the renewing of the mind. I, I find myself remembering a lot of different things, especially uh, things that I would probably count it as failures and things of that that um, that I've had to ask God to forgive me for. You know what I mean? And in that, <laughs> that was clever, Frida. That was clever. Um, one of the things with repenting and renewing of my mind is just adding it to my testimony. You know what I mean? So when I do think of those things, it's something I just go, I've got that beat, or I've, I've worked out that, that's already. I know I'm going to remember those times. Something is going to pop up. Something I'm seeing somebody else go through is going to remind me of whatever trauma it was that I had went through in the situation. But I just have to remember with that renewing of the mind is put it in the right ledger, you know what I mean? You're always going to remember some of these things, you know what I mean? You're always going to be wondering, God has got this, you know what I mean? By adding it to that ledger of this is part of my testimony, this means I've already, this has already been addressed. You don't have to keep on dwelling on the pain or whatever it was. Yeah, and that dwelling is a big thing. So up here to Peter. And we tend to be dwellers. And... and we need to fix that. Go ahead. Well, um, I was listening to Tammy and uh, I hope and my sister Karina back there, and I hope this helps. Uh, this is Second Corinthians chapter seven. Uh, for godly sorrow produces, I'm uh, sorry. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For Observe this very thing that you sorrow in godly manner, what diligence it produces in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you approved yourself to be clear in this matter. I realize that uh, everything that happens in my sphere of life, especially when it involves other people, there's nothing my wife can say to offend me, at least not anymore. I do realize that that's within. If I get offended at anything somebody says or does, I'm, it, it's something on the inside that's broke. Mm -hmm. It has nothing at all to do with the person on the outside. And so I keep that frame of reference, you know, especially after listening to you talk about the uh, uh, take no thought. Yeah. The, to me, that was very pivotal. Yeah, and that verse is very, uh, that's a good verse because I think a lot of people look at the repentance in the same way of asking somebody 
to forgive you. If somebody wrongs you, says something bad, do you, re- do you need them to re- uh, ask for forgiveness? See, a lot of people need that. Well, you should say you're sorry. Yeah. I should forgive you before you ever even said it. Yeah. And most people that come up to me and say, uh, I, I need to ask your forgiveness. I'm like, about what? Because I like moved on. I don't, I don't dwell on it. I don't live in it. Uh, I remember you, Sam, but um, we're going to go with Teresa and then come back with you. You, had, you were the one that had your hand up, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to, to add, going back to the condemnation, um, it was something that I also struggled with. And where um, my breakthrough in that came when um, the Holy Spirit revealed to me it was pride. If I, if I was beating myself up, what right did I have to beat myself up when I was forgiven? So asking God to forgive me and repenting of it, I was done. But when the, the enemy would come with the condemnation, it was just like, you're beating yourself up. This is, all, like Andre was saying, this is already over. So if you're beating yourself up, you have to, there's a, there's a root of pride to it if you think you can beat yourself up. Right, because pride is really an elevation of self, mm-hmm. and uh, and where we elevate ourselves over the word. Uh, so if we're not doing, if I'm not walking free from the forgiveness, I I've elevated myself over the word. Why I think I have a right to do this. Um, go ahead. Okay, so my question to you is, um, I have this family member that always like um, she always makes remarks towards me, you know, because I'm not like her. And she's like worldly, but then like she posts all these things about God, this God, this God, this, you know. But you know she's worldly. But like my situation is like, how do I like? How do I? I don't know. I say I forgive her, but then I don't know because I I still have you know I still hold it in. But it's like I want to walk in love, but then it's like can I walk in love without being with her or like you know when we have gatherings and stuff like that, like not invite her or how do, how do I walk in love? Well, I, you know, the, the term that I always use is that I give people permission to live their life the way they want to. So, so there's a dis- disagreement on how she's living, how you're living. And she's probably, you know, being pushy on you, like with her, her doctrine and whatnot. But just give her permission to live, live that way and live your life as a light. Pray that she'll see it at some point. But, but this all comes back to we, we think too highly of what other people think yeah. of us. We, we need to think highly of what God thinks of us and, uh, and get free of people. In fact, uh, God told, uh, Jesus told the Apostle Paul that I will deliver you from the people. Yeah. And so what, what God assigned Paul to do, if he would have, uh, when he would go into a place and like in the temple and preach, there would be either a revival or a riot. I mean, he ticked people off. Uh, on things, but the only way he could have taught and continued to preach the things that God had given him to preach is he had to be free of the people. Um, You get, I mean, being up here, you know, in different settings, uh, people give you some looks that you know what they're thinking. Um, I mean, or or at least you know they're not like enjoying it. Uh, And if you you operated or if I conformed to the way that people looked, then I would have to readjust my message. And so I just kind of blow it off and joke about it. And so y'all standing at me like I need to, you know, go deeper or something like that. But uh, you just can't live your life based on what you think people think uh, or what they do think. So can you still like love them from afar? Like you don't have to you Absolutely. Know, hang so, out with them and all you that? Know, the, the Bible says to honor your father and your mother that it might go well with you. That doesn't say if they're only if they're honorable. 
they may have abused you. You still have a responsibility to walk in love and walk in honor, but you're going to do it at a distance for safety, uh, you know, sake. And so, yeah, you can love far, especially uh, from afar off and just be, you know, my disposition is if somebody doesn't like me and doesn't want, I don't care if they're blood relatives or I, you know, grew up with them since I was five. If they don't want like me or want to, I'm not going to chase them down, try to have a relationship with them. If they ever need help, call me, I'll help you. Uh, but I'm not seeking to hang out on Friday or something like that or go to dinner. I got family, you know, the church. Uh, that's my family. Like Jesus said, you know, hey, your mother and your brothers out there, they want you. Who's, who's my mother and my brother? You guys, my family right here is right here. And so uh, we just got to lo- walk in love with all people. And I don't think the relationship is a natural relationship. If we actually start looking at things in the spiritual realm, According to the Bible, the family of God is more relevant than the biological family. And so uh, if we understand that, then uh, it's, uh, it's a lot easier. Because if you think about it from God's standpoint, how does he deal with all the knuckleheads? I mean, the people that just blatantly hate him and say things about him. And he's like, I died for you, so you don't have to go to hell. And they, Because this realm of love... People getting beyond them, he gives them the right to live however they want to, make the decisions. And but, you know, they got to call on him before he's going to come in, you know, to their life. And so he still loves them. So I guess we could say he loves them from afar, uh, even though he's every place. Uh, B's got a question. No, I just wanted to say that, you know, we have. Uh, people cause trig- triggers to come out on us. Like mm-hmm. Mary was saying, she gets angry at a certain person, but there's that root of anger already there. He just sparked it. Mm-hmm. And you got it's a stronghold, and it's a stronghold that you can remove by uprooting that, that, that root that's there. But you've got to do it in faith. You know, and and I God. think that's where and we don't get it. It's us. It's inside of us. Yes. Because anybody can trigger any reaction. But to me, I see it as a good thing because I can quickly say, Lord, okay, there's a root there. I need to get it out now Mm -hmm. in the name of Jesus so the enemy can no longer torment me with that. And I'm done with it. Absolutely. And so, you know, when he tries it again, it's like, "Ah, it's already done. Thank you. It's over. Amen. So, yeah. All right. Let me get my last uh, two in real fast. Uh, They're short ones, so it's going to be really fast. Uh, Mark 426. And he says, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not uh, how for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full uh, corn in the ear. Uh, But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately put in sickle because the harvest has come. So again here, we see how the spirit works. And it goes back to earlier when he has the... the, the, uh, um, the four grounds and everything of the, the sower of the word of God. But the seed in the earth produces of itself. He says, so is this the kingdom of God. The seed in the spirit produces of itself. Just like he, he used an agricultural example here to show us how spiritual things work. You sow a seed. So the Bible says, going back to like your question, Sam, the Bible says that uh, if you'll walk in love with people, you heap coals of fire upon their head. So if you want revenge, it's Old Testament and New Testament. I learned that from Nick. And um, uh, you remember that conversation? I thought it was Old Testament. You said New Testament. And then we, 
Found out it was in both. Um, but if you walk in love, your enemies are going to be agitated. The Bible says it. And God's the avenger. They're, they're going to deal with God. You don't have to do it. And so uh, uh, that everything comes back to that seed. So if we will sow, uh, I'll use that same example. If we, you will sow seeds of love, first the blade, then the ear, then it's going to grow over time. Uh, Tammy's mom uh, came up to me. Uh, she didn't need to do it, but she, uh, she felt it. She asked for an apology because she was very um, in opposition to me. And, uh, but I just, you know, the whole time that we'd go back there and everything like that, we'd walk in love and, uh, um, you know, and just, well, I was trying to figure out how to say it without, uh, she said I did. I, I, I played interference between her and her mom. And, uh, but I, I walked in love. It took 27 years. Was it 27? Yeah, 27 years. But just kept doing it, believing that, that what you're doing is making an impact. You honored her. And, uh, yeah, and so, um, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm verbalizing it right, but if you can ever make this switch, because I wasn't always like this, um, but if you can ever make this switch, it's freeing. Um, I mean, I've had people go off on me in meetings. And uh, it doesn't penetrate. I mean, I realize it's the brokenness inside of them. Mm. And, and I go to bed and I fall asleep fast. <laughs> I, I, I don't lay awake at night because, you know, somebody said some, something, somebody did something. I'm free. And uh, uh, she says, and I stay asleep. And um, now jump down to verse 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown. See how many times we keep looking at seed time and harvest sowing? In the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. Now, in a lot of churches, I've been in churches where they've done it before. Probably you have too. Somebody will get up and preach and they'll have bought a, a little package of uh, mustard seeds. And they'll pour it in their hand and they'll say, look how small it is. And, and they'll, how many have had somebody demonstrate this? You seen it before? Okay. What's, oh, you know when it was. And they'll pick it up and say, if you have faith the size of this, you can move mountains. Well, you know, the great question right here is to ask, do you got any mountains in your life? Well, yeah. Don't you got that much faith? Okay, it's not talking about the size of the faith. The Bible says we've all been given a measure of faith. Don't you think the measure is at least that big? Okay, so let's see what he says here. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows and becomes greater than all the herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So uh, what he's talking about here is that your faith has got to grow. It doesn't matter how small your faith is. It doesn't matter how insignificant you think your faith is. It has to be sown. Because going back that where he said that if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of the parables on seed time and harvest. If you don't understand how everything that we do is a seed and that seed grows or that seed is going to produce something back in our life and and it you know i just don't have enough faith you got any faith 
Well, I, I don't know. Are you born again? Oh, yeah, I'm born again. Well, you got faith. You, you can only get born again with faith. Yeah, but I just don't feel like it's very big. It might not be. Start planting it. So how are you going to plant your faith? Start walking in love when it looks like unlovable. Start sowing seeds of love. Be helpful when they're being aggressive or whatnot. Uh, you know, don't respond the way that you want to respond. Uh, I'm bypassing you back to her. <laughs> uh, no, don't look back behind you, Karina. <laughs> uh, uh, don't, don't, okay, I really want to say this, but I'm going to sow quietness right now. You, you've got to put your faith to work. Now, the worst time physiologically, psychologically, that we want to sow is when we're angry, when we're mad at what you're doing, when we're upset. Okay, but that's when you do it. Who cares if you sow your seed when everything's going good and you're happy about it? You're singing, I love Jesus all day long. I'm going to sow a seed here and I'm going to sow a seed there. I'm going to get me a harvest every day. No, you, you do when somebody's in your face. And you don't want to. Listen. Well, praise the Lord. I hope you got something out of that. Amen. All your questions helped me. It wasn't a short service. It was a long one. Amen. And, uh, but I, I tell you, going in these last days, uh, the reason I decided, virtually everything I've been preaching on uh, recently is, is I'm trying to wake people up to get Jesus is coming back. And we, we've got, he's coming back after a church without spot or wrinkle. We're going to go into, you're going to see why uh, when we get into the uh, Revelations uh, messages of why I stand on the fact that the rapture is at the beginning of the tribulation. You don't want to go through the tribulation, but don't think just because you said the center prayer, you're ready to go uh, in the rapture. There's qualifications of it. And we will see that. Uh, in one of the greatest parables that probably everybody knows, the ten virgins, they were unspotted by the world. The bridegroom showed up, and only five were ready and prepared and went in. The other five were, I mean, they, they knew about the Holy Spirit. They knew, they knew to show up. They knew to be ready, but they weren't ready. And uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are not ready because they're so encumbered with this natural life and trying to make it work. And God says, I'll make your natural life work if you'll just submit yourself to my word. And I'll work it through you because I want people to see God in you. If we go through these dark times as light and all the economic things, we're surviving and thriving, all the, the physiological sickness and things, and, and we're above it, people are going to see God in us. And that's where we want to be. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, let the eyes of our understanding be open. Lord, let us, let us navigate. Let us navigate your word and apply it into our life, renewing our minds so that we can be transformed and that we walk in the fullness of everything that you've called us to walk in. Lord, I thank you, God, for your, for your grace, for your mercy, and Lord, for, for helping us, Lord, in these times. Lord, that you're very present help in times of trouble. Lord, let us just be confident and trust in you and uh, give your angels charge over us as we leave here tonight, that they protect us in all our ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you on our live stream on Friday.